Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. Ace Podcast. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On today's episode, we're talking the success of Coco for Pixar. A Week 12 recap in the NFL. What direction DC Films should take? And are loot boxes really just gambling for gamers? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. We're back for another episode of the pop culture cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And look who's back after both Tyler Baker and Rob McCallum both tried to take a seat on a permanent basis. He has fought back from vacation as the fellow host of the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Josh Peterson. What's going on, man? Not much, dude. Just got back from vacation. I listened to a lot of podcasts, did not record any podcasts, which was nice. Did you hear that both Tyler Baker and, and Rob McCallum, you know, saying, hey, man, you know, I don't mind doing this again. You know, if Josh is, goes out sick or, you know, is gone for a while. They're trying to replace me? <laughs> yeah, I don't I mean, know. Listenership would drop by like 90%, so it's, it's fact of life. Just saying. Well, it's great to have you back in the saddle, my friend. And once again, for a great episode, we've got a lot lined up for you. First off, we've got Rob McCallum standing by in the Cosmic Crossfire to talk some great pop culture stuff. Also as well, Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Patriot Podcast. He's also checking in with a recap of Week 12 in the NFL. Plus, Josh and I are going to be talking a lot more about those darned loot boxes. I'll tell you what, they are creating quite a havoc, not only with other games but of course all the controversy surrounding star wars battlefront 2 we'll talk about that and dc films as well but first some great news this weekend again for pixar they seem to own the thanksgiving holiday weekend because they have done it once again with coco doing pretty much what pundits and analysts were saying it that they were going to do around 70 million dollars for the weekend just great numbers and also an A plus cinema score. So most likely that movie will be holding up throughout the holiday season with some strong numbers. So it's definitely another win for Pixar and another feather in their cap. So I ask you, Mr. Josh Peterson of Humanica Media, what do you think goes forward for Pixar? Because they look so strong now. There were some downtimes for Pixar in recent years, but the success of Coco and the way it's hit on a, a great basis looks like it's going to be another strong winter for the Pixar machine. I actually was just talking to someone who went to see it tonight, and they were saying that the animation is gorgeous. Their words, not mine. 
Yeah, Pixar is because I know that Finding Dory, well, you know, the fans appreciated it. It wasn't as well received as Finding Nemo was, and they're kind of been looking to fill that gap that they've had. But uh, yeah, this this movie looks looks great, and it shows. If anything, it shows that there's there's still plenty of, I guess, oceans to dive into, so to speak, when it comes to animated films and what kids like to watch, because. You know, you, you would think that a movie about the Day of the Dead would not be something that would be kid-friendly, even animated, but this just goes to show that, you know, Pixar has the talent to do things that normal animation studios can't. Well, and also sent a positive message to people out there that, yes, there can be a great, great film that not only embraces, but also tells a great story about the Latino and Hispanic culture that people of all ages, all demographics, and all backgrounds can definitely get behind. Wait, wait. Are you saying that Spectre didn't do that when James Bond destroyed half of a town? <laughs> oh, you mean in Mexico City, the part at the beginning? That is not one of my favorite parts uh, of <laughs> Spectre. Actually, the CG on it was really, really not very well done, and it led the movie on a, a not very great path unlike its predecessor, uh, which was just so much better in Skyfall. But I will say this, Coco definitely did very well and performed as expected at the box office. Looks like there's going to be a great, great following for it indeed throughout the next couple months. Their next movie on the horizon is The Incredibles 2. What do you think this does as far as make it a challenge to make Incredibles 2 just as powerful, just as meaningful, and just as well done as not only its predecessor, The Incredibles, but Coco as well. Yeah, so I watched the trailer for it last week, and I really wanted to talk about this, but I never wanted to talk about it with. So I don't know if you've noticed, but... Well, that'll teach you to go on vacation. How dare me. So The Incredibles is one of the... I need to stop saying so, but The Incredibles is one of like the most endearing Pixar films of all time. I would call it that. I know Toy Story takes the cake for it, but I would even put Incredibles above Finding Nemo in terms of popularity and following. And people well, have I been. Think film, I think you're right. Endearing is the word because I think it has endeared more than actually Toy Story itself. Yeah, because look over the course of the years that we've been without The Incredibles, we've had short films made, we've had action figures, merchandise, Disney uh, exhibits over in California Adventure. It's one of those movies that people will flock to. I would even go as far to say that like it has, I'm not calling it Star Wars, but it has the mentality of an animated Star Wars film where if you make it, people are going to watch it regardless because the first film had such a great story and it was so well loved by audiences that people will keep going back to it. And assuming that this movie is good, then I think that there's a future for The Incredibles should they want to keep making more of those movies. Because look, we're we're still in the midst of a superhero thing and Incredibles kind of gives us that feeling that we get when we watch superheroes, but it also gives us this uh, feeling of nostalgia and being a kid and it's just a fun movie to watch. So my question to you, I guess, would be why do you think it took them so long to make it? Because obviously it's a good decision. You know, it's got, the trailer has gotten nothing but great uh, feedback from fans. I do know somebody that works at Pixar and I, I wish I should, I, I'd love to ask him that question, but I know he'd be very type lipped about it. So I don't think he would give me the answer I've been looking for, but I, all it's, I can say is 
maybe they've been just searching for the right script for the right storyline to extend upon that universe although from what i hear and what i gather that it's not going to take very much longer after because obviously baby jack jack um is is still very young so i have a feeling it's not very does it takes place not very much long after the events in the incredibles the movie itself is just it's aged so well and and even though it has taken a long time to have a sequel take place that's why i think the differences between toy story and the incredibles is because toy story had two and three came you know it would, it would not too long after the original came out and it kind of burned people out on the, except for younger audiences on the toy story phenomenon itself whereas the incredibles it's still when it's shown it's still highly rated and still followed very very carefully by older audiences that really really enjoyed what the first one did and it's a real easy watch and continues to be and and will continue to be for some time to come but i i think to answer your question in in whole i just think it took them that long to find a story that they actually liked 100 that they could get behind but also as well that they wanted to go ahead, I guess, to just prioritize so many other those projects that they greenlit and that Disney wanted greenlit as well. Because yes, even though it is so beloved now and has been rented and been watched and, and viewed so many times on either broadcast, cable, or yeah, you know, home video on so many occasions now, it's still the original theatrical version did pretty good but not so outstanding as compared to some of its other top performers you know they made planes they made cars two and three but it just seems like the incredibles would have been like a no-brainer because that's something that people actually want to see and people actually pay money for like even if the movie is not that great people still will go to watch it so it just seems like one of those things where it shouldn't have taken them 10 years to come up with a story for it because there are comic books plenty of comic books of the Incredibles. So I don't know why they, you know, didn't dive into some of that materials, but here's the hoping it's good. Here's the hoping the, the 10 year wait was worth it. Well, actually it will be a 14 year wait by the time it comes out. So that's even longer. So that, it, but it looks like it just was made and actually delivered to audiences just yet last week because it still looks fresh. It still looks good. It still seems like a very, very modern movie that has not aged one bit. And I think that's why The Incredibles just still seems like a movie everybody continues to watch and enjoy. And that's why I think a lot of people more now are going to enjoy The Incredibles 2 when it comes out next year. And all the success with Coco, with Disney's Thanksgiving performances from Tangled and Frozen and Moana and all that just seems to be that they have this marketplace so well thought out when to put the star wars movies when to put their marvel movies and now obviously it's become apparent they know when to put their animated movies and what time frame that they want to go ahead and space these things out people can argue and, and not like the disney machine all day long but i'll tell you what when Disney gets really, really focused on what it wants to do, it can really put out that quality stuff year in, year out, and schedule those hits right on a timely basis, just when they and also the box office sorely needs it. What are your thoughts out there on Coco? Do you like it as much as everybody else out there? Is it, is it worth the A-plus cinema score and the big 
box office returns that it got this past weekend, share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanic and Media, and Game Source as well. It's going to be a great show again. Like I said earlier, we're going to have an awesome, awesome jam-packed episode once again. I've got Rob McCallum standing by. He's going to be, again, sitting in with me for the Cosmic Crossfire. And then also as well, Josh and I will be talking some loot boxes and why we think it's really, really not a great idea and we're still not in love with it and all the fiasco behind Battlefront 2. And also, what direction DC Films actually needs to go in, because there's uh, more talk of, of some movies that really they should be more focused on not doing and going in a different direction. And we're also going to talk about that as well. Plus, Tyler Baker stops by later in the episode to recap Week 12 in the NFL for fantasy football owners out there. So it's going to be a great episode indeed, but it all starts off with our good friend Chad and Hyperschmidt, and this is I Can Tell, and this is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Something's new today. Were you lying to yourself? I can tell you're not the same. They'll find you if you stay. Will you hold yourself away the day you came home so sure I lost you the way you're walking right at me that thing that haunts you it's not on your back did you decide that you were free I don't know what you say you got to give it you live this way I can tell your heart is truly changed Oh, in a second breath I see your name And I see the light behind your eyes again I can see your heart is truly changed Oh, in a second breath I say your name And I see the light behind your eyes again
trying to come up with words to say It's all there's no motion, I let go, you're slipping away Going out the window Are you going out the window? I once I woke up, I knew we'd go another day No one in this we're gonna ever take you away Was it all for nothing, no? Was it all for nothing, no? I can tell Listening to the pop culture cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do do people still use dials? In the mood to listen to some geeky conversations? Feel like the internet isn't the best place for an in-depth, respectful exchange of ideas? Then head on down to the 42 cast. It's a weekly show that covers a new geeky topic in comics, TV, movies, literature, or video games every week. We can be informative. Back in my day, kids, Pluto was a planet, so it's gonna stay a planet. <laughs> Irreverent. You learn so much from the X-Men. I mean, really. That Wolverine is the most important character no matter what. Strange. It's like, you know, Grodd if he went into theology or something. Right? Or controversial. I believe and I will swear to my dying day that the Marvel Cinematic Universe began with Howard the Duck. Find us on Stitcher Radio, iTunes, 42cast.com, or ESOPodcast.com. It's the 42cast. Your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. And we're back with another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you coming back. And listening to us, I'm here back again with my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind Rob McCallum Films. It is Rob McCallum. A few weeks ago, we discussed the possibility of Disney buying Fox. Well, now in a strange and interesting turn, Sony and Universal have been now expressing interest in buying Fox. So can you imagine if Sony were to buy Fox? and bolster their assets, which we've also talked about being dwindling in terms of the franchises they have at their disposal. That would give Sony access to the X-Men and Fantastic Four universes, which they could combine with Spider-Man. Now, Spider-Man, of course, has made lots of appearances in both those comics, even donning the Fantastic Four traditional blue suit before, and being confused as a mutant in the X-Men series before because he wasn't sure if he was technically a mutant or not. So he's got some really cool kind of crossover capabilities there. And let's not forget, if Sony were to buy Fox and get access to the X-Men universe or library in the Fantastic Four one, 
you really got to think that there's a chance for at least Marvel to license that stuff back given their involvement with Spider-Man. So whether Disney is still a, a potential buyer for Fox, which I'm sure they would like to be, if Sony still comes in through the door, I still think that gives Disney a possible in to license those characters into the larger universe that they're developing. What did you, uh, what did you think of that report when you heard it? I read it. And I, I'm not in love with it because Sony, over the past 20 years, let's face it, Rob, they have not had a winning reputation as in regards to their film library as well. They've had many, many failures along the way. And But yes, I, I see what you're saying as far as it's kind of like a side door, a back door, if Fox really doesn't want to sell to Disney if Disney even is still interested in it or the price is too much for what they want to do. But I, I, I can agree with you that as soon as Sony would buy it would be like, Psst, hey, hey, Disney, hey, Marvel, hey, hey, I got a deal for you, man. I got a deal yeah, for you. You can almost you know, expect a certain return against their purchase instantly by having the licensing deal in their back pocket. I'd be driving from Hollywood to Anaheim right away if I was part member of Sony and I got that deal done. So I hear you. <laughs> right to the Magic Kingdom, huh? Right, right to the front door. Right down, right down that, right down the freeway. Hopefully, you know, with knowing the traffic, it would be in a carpool lane. But go ahead. There you go. There you go. Did you? Uh, have, I don't know if we've talked about this before. I think we may have, but you know, we we bring up X Men and Fantastic Four, of course, belonging to Fox. Do you have any idea of how to reboot the Fantastic Four? And at what point should it be rebooted or, or revisited? Oh, okay, let's let's say for all intents and purposes, whether it's through Sony, whether Fox strikes a deal with Disney, or, you know, for just that series, or if it's a total buyout by Disney of the Fox Films library, I'm just going to say this at this point in time: the best way to do it is just to reintegrate them slowly into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and then tried to go ahead with a reboot maybe five to seven years down the line. But don't even think about it within a, a, a normal realm and just have them become a part of a larger consortium first before you go ahead and try to branch them out again with something like that because it's just only going to ask for trouble. Yeah, I don't uh, disagree with your strategy. I would like to see it something akin to what happened in Civil War with Spider-Man where you really had like a special scene or sequence play out where it was, say... Spider-Man goes to the Baxter building to visit and talk to the Fantastic Four specifically to get information that they only had. They're not integral to whatever plot or film that they're in or whoever is visiting them. But you get to see Reed Richards, Ben Grimm, Sue Storm, Johnny Storm. And then that's it. Maybe they make an appearance at the end during the climax, like full Don kind of, you know, costumes and stuff. Or maybe even just as regular them before initiating an origin story, maybe from that. I don't even think you need to do an origin story. I don't even think you need to do it. I think you just jump into whenever you get to the chance to do a standalone one. You've already seen them probably in three films in some capacity. In the same way that we saw Agent Coulson kind of dropped in early, you know, phase one of Marvel Cinematic Universe, we just see different members of the Fantastic Four kind of part of big key events that pull them together. And, uh, I mean, hey, with the Infinity Gauntlet stuff coming up, you know, I saw a pretty cool YouTube short documentary on the history of the Gauntlet and who's had it. 
Doctor Doom has had it at one point. What better way to tie them possibly into the Marvel Cinematic Universe than have the Fantastic Four try to take on Doctor Doom and uh, need the help of some other heroes? That's a great point indeed, and that would be a great way to integrate them back as far as for that overall battle. And I would like to see that almost as much as I would like to see the X-Men integrated, especially Wolverine integrated back within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But can we ever really see Wolverine now that Hugh Jackman's done with the role? He wouldn't be done with the role if Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, uh, he's done, man. He is done. No, I, I would tell you. I, I'm going to tell you right now. I would. I would put money on it that Hugh Jackman would be reinvigorated to at least do one more appearance within the Marvel Cinematic Universe in an Infinity War concept. Are you talking like in the same way that he was in like Days of Future? Or was it Day, no X Men First Class where he's just at the bar? And he told Xavier and Magneto to F off, or are you talking like an actual performance? I would probably say he would be at first just, just like you said, just at the bar or, a or in a place, you know, okay, yeah. I'm not going to do it. But it's not near, worth it to him. It's not worth it to him. Not near the end. Hold on. Near the end, he would come and be in the middle of that battle scene. No. He would come nope. to save the day. No. I, I, I'm telling you, he would, because it just, it just. <laughs> It's a it's a new concept to an actor as far as hey we're throwing this at you as part of this bigger universe I think he could resist I'm just gonna say he could resist I don't think it'll happen let's put it this way I don't think it will happen but if it did if the possibility was there I think he would jump at it I think if it was done right and the proposition would get you know they wouldn't have to wear the be you know the whole thing would be on him that you could just go ahead and and get that get that glory right there there you go. I disagree. Well, if you have any questions out there for any of the topics that we cover on the Cosmic Crossfire, feel free to send us a shout out, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanity media, and game source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Truly appreciate, Rob, you being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos and, of course, on another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. And we're back once again for the pop. Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. You know, Josh, he runs this mega machine called Humanica Media. You want to check it out today on Twitter and Facebook and check out all the great stuff that's going on in Humanica Media and all the great shows like the Super BS Gamescast, What About This, so many others. So I ask you, Josh, to give everybody a heads up on what's going on what is going on with Humanica Media? We're uh, going to be doing a new Super BS tomorrow. And then Saturday is actually the grand return of the What About This podcast. And, you know, assuming we get our issues worked out with the PRN, you'll could hear this show on uh, Tuesday night. But that's uh, up in the air right now. So we'll get back to you on that one. Fair enough, indeed. But you can check out all the great Humanica Media shows and get all the listings of it right now on Humanica Media on Facebook and Twitter. Plus also as well, you check out their stuff on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and so many other podcasting and streaming outlets. 
So Josh, this loot box thing, man, this this loot boxes thing is just not going to go away anytime soon. In fact, with the release of Battlefront 2 and all the controversy surrounding it, and even Battlefront 2 actually suspending the progression loot box system, maybe because Disney told them to, or just the amount of bad publicity and amount of gamer feedback and outrage that was caused by it, it got to the point where actually governments in certain countries actually were looking to, into it and seeing if it was actually identifying itself as gambling. So I ask you, Josh, this leads up to a bigger, bigger question with not only just Battlefront 2, which a lot of people on the internet are now saying don't buy. And it got to the point where people were taking pictures of everything else being sold out except for Battlefront 2. So you know sales are impacted there. With all that's going on regarding games that are implementing consumer spending options, as 2K wants to say it, or loot boxes of any type, what are your thoughts on that possibly touching upon some bad habits or or for gamers maybe starting just something bad when it really comes to a possible gambling theme? See, I, I don't know necessarily if I would call it gambling because you're you're paying for a service you're paying for something you're getting something in return so like i i don't like loot boxes i hate loot boxes but they are you know i i'm having a hard time seeing like how it correlates to to gambling i guess and it's um you know i'm i you know me like i'm not a huge fan of it in general we've talked about this a lot and they just keep popping up what i do think is that loot boxes take advantage of uh human psychology and the fact that it we want to finish something really fast or or you know we get we get in the zone we're like oh i just really i want this and i need to do it now and instead of you know sitting there and hammering out the time it takes to play the game we just want to put our money forward and that's where they're making their profit and i don't i don't agree with them taking advantage of people in that way but there are some scenarios. In fact, when it came to originally what EA had planned for Star Wars Battlefront 2, there were some definite pay-to-win options. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they're not giving you money. You're not, like, saying, hey, I'm putting money down on this and I want to see a... a your, your return is getting put to you in, like, gear and weapons and new characters and whatnot. But, you know, I definitely, like, don't agree with how it preys on the psychology of gamers because our emotions fluctuate when we play a game. So it's, you know, that that's definitely not cool in that aspect. But I'm not a fan of loot boxes. You know, you know, we've talked about this plenty of times and I just, I, I hate them. I think it's greedy and I think that it ruins the, uh, you know, the nature of gaming. I cannot stand them as well. I just think that's really just, just wrong. Uh, yeah, it's supposed to be targeted to people like you and I who don't have all the time in the world who can't do the grind and just want to go ahead. All right, I want to stay competitive or I want to be able to see the end or I want to be able to enjoy this game to the fullest. So yeah, let me go ahead and I'll spend 10, 20, 30 extra bucks here or in some cases a lot more. But it's also promoting that at the same time to younger audiences who may spend their rest of their credits they have left in Xbox Live credits or PlayStation credits or whatnot to go ahead and do the same thing. And to me, that sends a bad message, which I, I'm pretty sure they don't think about 
And that's unfortunate because it does send a, a bad message. I understand that they do need to make extra money. $60, well, who buys actually games for $60 anymore? But the end total of whatever they make from a $60 purchase or traditional purchase of a video game doesn't go as long of a way as it once did. I get that. So they need to do other things that will bring in more people. And people don't always buy the DLC that's added onto it. I get that. So they're trying to use this as another option. But you, the way you're packaging it and the way you're selling it, it's just it's just wrong. It's just inappropriate. Overwatch is probably one of the best ways because it's just cosmetic items. It's not giving anyone else a competitive advantage. So in that sense, I guess that is cool because if you didn't do that, it's just like fighting games who would, you know, sells the extra clothing and whatnot for DLC. So it's pretty much the same concept. So that's okay in that sense. I can live with that. But when it comes to the pay-to-win scenarios or things that will help you increase your effectiveness in the game, I have a true problem getting that instead of just doing it the old-fashioned way and just playing through it as best you can. That I have an issue with because there are people, as been reported all over the internet, whether they're related to the press or not, that have spent a, an inordinate amount of money on games like Battlefront 2 and spent beyond the actual list price and at, bought all those extra stuff and not gotten the experience they wanted out of it. So definitely that's a, a very troubling sign indeed. Yes, there are still government agencies and governments all around the world still looking into games similar to Battlefront 2 as a gambling option. And while I don't feel it's 100% gambling either, it still reeks and it still it gives me that that filthy feeling when when to see them try and do this and and try and poach gamers into spending a ton more money. It's just it seems filthy in, in some way and it's not like you you know those free to play games because if it's a free to play game and they add those options that's fine because you started off free but when you're already spending $60 and you're asked to spend $60 more or $100 more just to stay competitive i think i speak for both Josh and myself that we definitely have a problem with that it's lazy gaming it's lazy and it's you know it's greedy on their part and it's it's one thing because I think the first time I ever encountered the uh, pay money for the extra stuff was during uh, Assassin's Creed 4 when you could pay to get the treasure chests and you don't have to go around to find the map or buy the maps and whatnot. But to give somebody the option to pay money to have a competitive edge on a game that's mostly you know created for competitive playing is it's lazy, it's greedy, and it's taking advantage of people. Couldn't agree with that statement more myself. So that's definitely uh, some great words, uh, advice indeed, and a great way to wrap up our thoughts on the loot box gaming concept. What are your thoughts on loot boxes? I know we've talked about this issue before, but this problem doesn't seem to go away. Do you have ideas on better consumer spending options that these developers and publishers can lean on that won't leave the bad taste in gamers' mouths? like what's happened with Battlefront 2. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. And I know, Josh, you saw those pictures like I did. That was very funny. The, the effect of all this 
with Battlefront 2 is not only did it leave a bad taste in Disney's mouth, and they had to deal with it because they were called out publicly by news organizations on it, but also the fan backlash and the fact that so many places were showing that there were still many copies to be had when in regards to Battlefront 2. Did you see that? There's like all these empty video game cases, and the only thing was there was like a stack full of Battlefront 2. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> not, not really. Uh, they've gotten such bad publicity from this. I, you know, I guess it's selling okay for whatever. But I think a lot of people, especially like us who are, you know, on the Super BS Games Cast, we're talking about this and saying how none of us are going to buy it until it goes on sale. And even then, that's that's iffy for us, just because it's gotten so much backlash and bad publicity, and it's just the cost is so high right now. For me, it's gonna be at least another year before I buy it. I was good. I was a day one on Star Wars Battlefront, and then I traded in and I bought it back again later on when it went to under twenty dollars for a full game of the year edition with all the different DLC. So, I think I, I that should be my plan in this case. That if I do ever buy it, it's gonna be on a heavily discounted rate with everything encompassed, so it's all ready to go, minus hopefully all the loot boxes. Hey, this is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Do you love pizza? Do you love brothers? Then you'll love the Pizza Bros Podcast. The Pizza Bros Podcast is a weekly show where two brothers discuss all things pizza. Pizza snacks, pizza fashion, pizza tech, pizza history, and don't forget the epic Saucy 16. We review pizza from local restaurants in the Pacific Northwest. And let you know if it's worth your time and money. Each episode is only about 13 to 30 minutes, so it won't take up most of your day. Served up hot and fresh every Wednesday. The Pizza Bros Podcast. Wherever podcasts are sold, we don't sell our podcast. I know. I was warming up right here, right on the air. Okay, there you go. Just not like we're doing anything. Not like we're coming back to the show. It's the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos. And Game Source just stretching it out here just a little bit because I'm trying to get warmed up and ready to recap another great weekend in the NFL. That was almost a good segue. And who better to do it with me than the man, the myth, the legend behind... The Fantasy Football Pater Podcast, which you can catch every Tuesday and Saturday, or unless you want to listen to it any other day, that's cool as well, on Apple Podcasts, Libsyn, SoundCloud, Overcast.fm, and Player.fm. And of course, he also runs the great Facebook group, Fantasy Football Pater Podcast as well. It's Tyler Baker. What's going on, my friend? Hey, things are good. I hope you and the family had a good Thanksgiving. 
Uh, did indeed, and I hope you did as well, my friend. I hope you wreaked havoc on whatever poor defenseless turkey that you laid <laughs> waste upon. So definitely uh, it was a great time for us indeed this Thanksgiving. But along with the turkey games, there was a lot of great action the entire weekend. But as I said to you before we went on the air, before I started warming up too, <laughs> should we just leave it at Julio Jones and just drop the ball and go home? Woo! He played like a big boy today. He had 12 receptions, 253 yards, and two touchdowns. He even caught a touchdown from fellow wide receiver Mohamed Sanu. Hey, look, the NFC South is good. The Saints are 8-3, and three, the Panthers are 8-3, and three, and now the Falcons are 7-4. and four. Wow. The most amazing fact from that performance by Julio Jones that's not even his best performance ever. It's third. Yes, yes. I know he had a really big game last season. I want to say he had like 302 or something like that. Yeah, yeah but so he's had two other games that have been better than that. So that yeah. just tells you what kind of receiver he is and where he stands right now among his peers now. And, and definitely, you know, the Hall of Fame will be calling his name at some point in time down the road. I rest assured at this point, I think he's already clinched it because he oh, now holds most of the, if not all, the Atlanta Falcons oh, yeah. records. And yeah, definitely he'll be holding some NFL records as well down the road. But there were some other great performances. Not just going to call it a day with Julio Jones, but I know Joe Mixon had a breakout game finally. And finally. there's some others. And, and there were some other players as well who had some great performances that are going to lead a lot of teams to some playoff success very soon. Yeah, the Bengals are giving Joe Mixon the ball. He had 30, I'm sorry, 23 rushes, uh, which is a lot. That's that's a full workload. So in those 23 rushes, he got 114 yards and a touchdown. You'll like to see that from the rookie. It looks like they've finally gotten to the point where they trust him and uh, they're going to feed him the ball. A team who wasn't feeding their running back the ball, and we talked about him last time, was the Kansas City Chiefs. They have now lost five of their last six. and when they don't give Kareem Hunt the ball, they lose football games. This week, today, they gave him 11 touches. And they got beat by the Bills. So uh, if you are a Kansas City Chiefs fan, you're, you're probably just in the dumps. If you have pieces of that offense on your fantasy team, you're worried. And I watched this game pretty closely, trying to figure out what's going wrong. They're doing everything wrong. From the coaching to players dropping balls and, and making mistakes on the field to how their game plan is matching up with their opponents. They're just in the dumps right now. It's kind of sad. It's just a shame to see a team that beginning of the season was considered and was playing like it was the best team in the NFL. They have fallen so far so quickly and it's just very disappointing indeed. But who was it, by the way, that led the Bills to victory today? quarterback i'm not sure who that was maybe um, um. <laughs> maybe it was the guy that got benched a couple weeks ago yeah <laughs> Ty tyron taylor hmm. yeah. As someone, and as someone who you you know you called it you said that was the wrong move the wrong time uh and definitely it it proved out to be the case especially after the replacement threw five interceptions last week in the first half and they went back to Tyrod Taylor. So I think somebody up in the Bills management and Bills coaching staff is eating a little bit crow today. And and 
rightfully so because sure. Tyrod Taylor is a good quarterback and they're going to let him go or he's going to be gone because he wants looks like he probably doesn't want to stay with Buffalo at all after what's happened and definitely he's going to be a, a great prize for someone else sure and it's not just his play on the field it's how he's handled it and all of his players and his teammates have said you know what he handled it like a pro he got benched he did everything he could to help the rookie prepare for that game the rookie fell flat on his face with five interceptions in the first half then came back in like a professional and it's just going to work now tyrod taylor's never going to put up huge passing numbers he's really not that quarterback so it'll be specific teams that'll be interested in him in his skill set but he's showing that when he's asked to go out there and play hard he does it so even though he got benched the way that he came back like a professional i think it's going to really help him in free agency this year but also for fantasy football owners he may not be the prototypical 350 yard yeah. passer but, but he can get you 200 to 250 yards passing 50 to 100 yards rushing yeah, and he and throws importantly a low interception total he does, and when they get in the red zone, they'll design runs for him. So if you, for fantasy purposes, if you have a quarterback that is running the ball in in the red zone for touchdowns, that's huge points. Blake Bortles had a couple of those today. <laughs> don't get me started on Blake Bortles. We don't have enough time in the podcast. But be that as it may, sure. what were some of the best performances out there or some that actually caught your eye in one way or another, and even if they were really bad for some reason, but just performances that caught your eye this weekend in the NFL. For me, it was Tom Brady, and he went up against a really good Dolphins defense, and they got after him. They knocked him down eight times. Uh, he was getting beat up in that game, and the 40-year-old quarterback just stood in there and led his team to victory, and it was impressive. And for his age, and if there's a way to really – attack the Patriots offense. It's put pressure on Tom Brady, get Tom Brady on the ground, rough him up. And the Dolphins did everything they could to make that happen. And Tom Brady just transcended and did what Tom Brady does through for 227, four touchdowns and an interception. <laughs> I mean, the Patriots are good. I think they're 24 in one against divisional opponents at home since Tom Brady's been playing. That's ridiculous. And I want to thank the opponent of mine that actually decided to bench Tom Brady, what? one of the quarterbacks you play every single week. And single I don't know why he sat him down for Matthew Stafford, but mm -hmm. you know what? Thank you very much. Thank you yeah. for giving me the win. There are some guys you don't bench. We mentioned Julio Jones earlier. Julio Jones will have games where he's real quiet, but you have to play him. Like if you draft Julio Jones in the first round, you're playing them. And those top tier quarterbacks, if you spend, you know, a high draft pick on those quarterbacks, you got to play them. Some guys are just matchup proof. And Tom Brady's one of those guys. Yeah, you can't put him. He's Tom Brady. Tom Brady doesn't get put on the bench. No. This individual did. And my team was all the better for it because the difference between Matthew Stafford's performance today and Tom Brady's was hmm, about seven points. And guess what they're losing by right now? Ooh. It's seven points. Sometimes <laughs> it's all the difference. <laughs> it is. He must be listening to one of those other podcasts. Exactly. But the podcast you need to listen to is the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. It's always available on Apple Podcasts, Libsyn, SoundCloud, Player.fm, Overcast.fm, 
and you want to check out their Facebook group where you can ask those questions on lineup changes, trades, and stuff to get you ready for the playoff run. Fantasy Football Pater Podcast Facebook group. You want to ask those questions, join up. There's a lot of people that can go ahead and, and help you make a good decision. And obviously, like I said, every Tuesday and Saturday, new episodes drop of the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. So it's definitely something to listen to indeed. Tyler? As always, my friend, you know, we truly appreciate being on the show, but the playoffs are coming around the corner and you and I are going to have an extra, extra special episode coming up in the near future discussing all things fantasy football playoffs, correct? Yes. Looking forward to it. It's, it's that time. Most leagues have another week or two left and then it's real deal time. If you listen or download, we're going to have our normal segment with Tyler and I, but we're going to have an extra long segment for those people downloading and streaming the podcast. Definitely want to check that out. Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. In the meantime, every Tuesday and Saturday when episodes drop. But we'll make sure to let you know when we have an extra special segment that we're going to add on for a playoff preview coming up in the near future as an add-on and bonus to one of our downloadable episodes. Tyler, as always, my friend, it's just great having you on the show and being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. Oh, thanks, man. It's such a pleasure. I love your show. Love listening to it. Love being on it, man. Thank you. And I love it when somebody benches Tom Brady. (laughs) So good. (laughs) Yes, indeed. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmos show and the PCC Multiverse. I see the potential for basically like another Netflix kind of paradigm shift where here comes this other major player. They have a ton of resources. Apple could change the way that entertainment is consumed. They say it's the only time this year that you'll have stars from each brand battling each other. And we know it's not going to be the case, but they like to say that and more power to them, I guess. Well, it's a big first step bringing all those superheroes together. There were definitely some parts of the movie that I that I really enjoyed. And then there were some parts that I thought just kind of fell short of expectation. Part of it has to be something to do with how it's being promoted. And this is a thing where audiences do not agree with critics. That's the Pop Culture Cosmos Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Every week on the Podcast Radio Network and Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos Network. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. I'm here along with my good friend. He is the man amid the legend behind Humanica Media. It's Josh Peterson. If for some reason you can't get a hold of us on the podcast radio network, and then also as well our Friday show, the PCC Multiverse as well, fear not, that's okay. We're going to be on always on Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, Tangemount Network, the ESO Network, the Gun and Geek Network, Player.fm, Overcast.fm, Cast Crunch, our website, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, and so much more. And also, don't forget, Every Tuesday on the Podcast Radio Network, it is Attack of the Humanicans. 
truly appreciate everybody listening to that out there. And it, make sure if you listen to one of our shows, please subscribe to the show, subscribe to our channel, and leave us reviews because it does affect positively if you, you leave some good reviews and good vibes and you start subscribing to how our show is actually doing in the realm of the podcast world out there. So any good vibes you, you give out to us, we truly appreciate and cannot thank you enough for. So Josh, there was something interesting at the end credits of Justice League, and it wasn't just the fact that that the uh, we can now, spoilers coming up for it, the escape of Lex Luthor from his jail cell to start thinking about the possible formation of the Legion of Doom and the Hall of Villains and all that started off with a conversation with Deathstroke, which has been rumored one of the many, many possible projects that DC films may have for spin-off movies, anthology movies, you name it, whatever they want to call it. We've we've talked in length over the course of this past year in regards to all the different scenarios that DC films might do and might execute as far as films are concerned. My question to you before we head on out, what should be DC films course of action? Because all these other side films and side projects, they just need to just put the kibosh on and make sure they just stay focused on one thing and one thing only in regards to keeping the DC film universe on a better path than it's already going on. First of all, yeah, they talked about this Deathstroke. It's not going to happen. Like it's, it's one of those things where people are going to get super excited about it. And it's just not going to happen. I'm personally not excited about it, but this is DC typical DC. Like they, they're like a dog who sees a squirrel, you know, they can be focused on something and all of a sudden, squirrel and they'll start looking off to their left. The difference between Marvel's success and DC is that Marvel set out a path. They had a very linear path and they gave, uh, you know, they brought to life the most important heroes to make the universe work. And, you know, so they had Captain America, Thor, so on and so forth. DC, on the other hand, they wanted to skip everything. They wanted to go right to the uh, main showdown. So they... They skipped the Flash movie, they skipped a solo Batman outing, they skipped a cyborg film, and they just wanted to go straight for Justice League. So they gave us they gave us Man of Steel, which was cool, and they gave us and then what we got Batman vs. Superman, Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, and you know, they already have two ensemble films out. You know, we don't even have like solo films of the most important characters. So I don't think that we should be talking about Deathstroke and you know, a sequel to Suicide Squad or a, even, you know, it pains me to say this, or even a Justice League Dark or a Shazam, I think that we need to have these heroes established so that they build a universe before you build side characters. Or Gotham City Sirens or Aquaman movie or another Green Lantern movie. Well, those two maybe are, are should be considered for possibly being down the line, but there's just so many other or prequel to to the Joker film uh, or another Batman movie or you know all these different scenarios that they've talked about and the question they got to ask is of these films that they've talked about which ones serve the larger narrative the best and and because the larger narrative is the one that seems to get hurt and obviously from what we've seen in Justice League and the response 
by most individuals to it, the larger narrative certainly has yet to be served fully, especially after what was seen with Justice League. So definitely some food for thought there. But, I, you know, it's just, just a shame that they they continue to talk about all these different other side stuff and they just need to keep on a straight and simple they, path. They don't even have a foundation built. It's like a kid who tries to put a Jenga set together and doesn't, you know, puts like one block sideways and the other one in a T shape and then puts another one on top of it like that. It doesn't even like make it solid before trying to build up. We need to establish the heroes before we can establish their villains and their counterparts and their, you know, side quests and all that stuff. So they, uh, yeah. So let me, let me tell you my opinion of justice league real quick. I, it entertained me. I didn't go in expecting a story. They didn't give me a story. It, it entertained me. I can see why people didn't like it. I feel like the stuff with Superman was very disappointing and lazily written. But what killed me was the the after credit scene because I was, you know, I was like, okay, I was willing to give them like my approval on the movie. I was willing to just say, okay, sure, it was it was something. And then, you know, I saw that and then I just immediately like it felt too gimmicky, it felt too comic-y, it felt too uh, it felt really forced to me and it felt like they were going down a path that was going to take away that surreal, that visceral feeling that they, you know, they pride themselves on having that's different from Marvel. Definitely some great thoughts indeed. If you have your own thoughts on where the DC film universe should go, please share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, Humanica Media. Game Source and Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Twitter as well. We would love to hear your thoughts because believe me, the DC Films universe needs all the good opinions it can get. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us on this episode, Rob McCallum and Tyler Baker, as always. And of course, Josh, it's great to have you back in the saddle, even though a lot of people wanted you out of the saddle and they wanted to take it for themselves. But uh, I'm glad you came back. And I do want to make sure everybody gets a heads up on what's coming up in December because we not only got a lot of holiday gift suggestions from all over the place like books, board gaming, video games, the whole nine yards. We're going to be suggesting that. But also our best of 2017 in several categories including films, television, video games, and a whole lot more. That's going to be coming up next month. So we got a packed December coming up for you. So it's definitely something to look forward to indeed maybe i was the one that needed a vacation well did you want to leave any last thoughts did you get anything on black friday i'm just curious any games you know what there was just so much i i did uh when i get i got in line to target we i was helping a friend get a tv get him a tv he got an xbox one s uh, we got three games for him at a really good deal. Assassin's Creed, Skyrim, and I think the, the last Metal Gear Solid. I uh, got that for him. Too busy shopping for everybody else, man. That's uh, cool and cool. But got a new phone, but uh, you know, there you go. That's what I needed the most. Nice. You got what you needed. Yes, that's that's fine enough for me. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping 
you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. In more Disney-related news, we're going to turn our attention towards Star Wars. It seems like every week there's a franchise or something that always ties back to good old Mickey Mouse company, Disney. And we finally get to hear the words from Chris Miller and Phil Lord about leaving Han Solo, of course. Everybody out there that's listening that may not know, Chris Miller and uh, Phil Lord were directing the Han Solo standalone film, much like Rogue One, the the saga films, if you will. And uh, they had to depart. And uh, Ron Howard has now stepped in to finish filming on that. I believe the reshoots are done for that now in their post-production. Already wrapped up. And and that's when they they announced the name of the actual film is going to be just Solo. Oh, is that what it's called now, officially? Uh, Just Solo. Just Just like this cup, Solo. Just, just like you know, my career solo. <laughs> um, well, it was it was nice to hear them to talk about the subject, but they really haven't shed too much light on it. I'll I'll read their their quote for people. The experience of shooting the movie was wonderful. We had the most incredible cast and crew and collaborators. I think in terms of us leaving the project, I think everybody went in with really good intentions, and our approach to making the movie was different than theirs. There was a really big uh, gap to bridge and it proved to be too big. Sometimes people break up and it's really sad and it's really disappointing, but it happens. We learned a lot from our collaborators and we're better filmmakers for it. We're really proud of the work we did on the movie. Wish everybody the best. And then talking about some of the new stuff that they had in the works and where they are right now. We're super well adjusted. Obviously we're doing great. We're super drunk right now. As Phil said, we had such a good relationship with the cast crew. We're really rooting for them. And after we took a much-needed vacation, we got back into it, and we're writing and producing a sequel to the Lego movie and producing a Miles Morales animated Spider-Man movie. So clearly those guys are not hurting for work, regardless of the departure from one of the biggest films of their careers, for sure. Um, they're probably more comfortable doing you know, something like uh, the Lego movie spinoff, which really put them on the map as far as a, as a duo and to take on the animated Spider-Man film. That sounds pretty exciting, too, and Sony's got some faith in them. So do uh, does that quote do anything for you, or does that just seem like a PR spin after, you know, months of silence? Just PR spin. I know that I, I think credit goes to Vulture on as far as doing the interview on that, but um, be, that, be that as it may, I, I just think it's just PR spin. I think, you know, as someone... You, who has worked uh, on films and has been the point man uh, as far as these productions are concerned on a smaller scale, mind you, but still nonetheless. And as someone who actually a long time ago got to hear 
every now and then some inside stuff going on on sets and whatnot, uh, discourse, unhappiness, real thoughts, real emotions, and real feelings regarding a studio on the set on a couple of occasions. It, you know that's not what they're telling people. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know that's not how they're exactly feeling 100%. But because they want future, op, you know, when you play the, you got to play the game in Hollywood. If you're that level, you want more opportunities of that level. With something else that may come around, come around after Lego Movie Two and going forward. So you definitely don't want to burn too many bridges because they mentioned bridges. So you don't want to burn those bridges that are still there. And uh, whether or not they will ever work for Disney again, I I sincerely I sincerely doubt it. But there's still so many other studios out there that could give them a project that's you know uh, with a huge production budget and would want to do so, but they wouldn't do so if they're going ahead and they're going to badmouth every single uh, entity that they worked on when we were working for Disney. Yeah, I think these two guys are the most poised for success post-Star Wars uh, breakup than a lot of the other victims. I think, you know, we obviously know Josh Trank had some difficulties on, on his own with whatever film he was attached to. Uh, they never really fully announced it. And then uh, Colin Trevorrow leaving episode nine with really only Jurassic World as the, the big ticket in the back of his pocket. And then uh, these guys, you know, I just, uh, I mean, I guess to some degree you could put Gareth Edwards in there, but everything went fine for him on Rogue One. They just brought some other people in to do some reshoots when he wasn't available in terms of directing. And that's a little muddy and, mur and murky, but these two guys seem to have a ton, you know, in their pocket in terms of options and their resume is a little bit longer than everybody else's. So even if this is just a clever PR spin, I think they probably are pretty well adjusted and have options to kind of go forward in that Disney cannot crush them and stop them from kind of having a, a fruitful career, whether it's with them or not. Well, you mentioned it already as far as, <clears throat> well, you mentioned it already as far as them needing a, a vacation and a break. So obviously working on something that intense within the Star Wars universe and the demands that it has, it it's unlike anything right else anything else within the cinema, uh, as far as if you work on that franchise. So seemingly there's a lot of pressure that's put on put upon directors. And as someone who is a director such as yourself, I can see you know, we've spoken about before the interactions because of what happened to those two directors and and uh, if you were given those opportunities, how you would approach it. So definitely, uh, I would say that the def the biggest thing that I take from it is that there's a lot of pressure when you go ahead and, and helm something within the Star Wars franchise. Speaking of interesting new movie details and other projects for other people, details have emerged on Tarantino's next movie. Now, I don't know if you read the, the little leak that happened there, but I'll uh, let everybody else know about it. It's set in Los Angeles in the summer of 69, and the script apparently focuses on a male TV actor who's had one hit series and is looking for his way, uh, looking to get his way into the film business. Now, his sidekick, who's also his stunt double, is looking for the same thing. The horrific murder of Sharon Tate and four of her friends by Charles Manson's cult of followers serves as a backdrop to the main story. At one point in time, Tarantino said he was only going to make 10 films. I think this is number 10. If I, if I do the math quickly, I think it's number 10. Could be wrong. Not sure. What do you think is this, uh, this is a setup? 
Tarantino taking on a movie set in L.A., which is cool. Uh, Pulp Fiction was set in L.A., I believe. Uh, actually, parts, yeah, it was it was set in L.A., excuse me. And then also Jackie Brown was set in L.A. as well, Southern California. Uh, just uh, actually just my neck of the woods in, in the Torrance area. So. Oh, there you go. The old stomping grounds. But what do you think about Tarantino taking on something in the film and television industry as a subject matter? Well, you know him. He is so crafted and uh, he is so gifted a filmmaker that he'll go ahead and and definitely, he's not afraid to just go ahead, whether overtly or discreetly, point out his messages and, and uh, whether it's to the, whatever industry or whatever agenda that he wants to create from it. Uh, he's not afraid and he, of, of creating a stance and he knows he has enough cachet, even with the Hateful Eight not doing as well as it, as it it was projected doing and he'll again address that because it came out i believe right around the time of the force awakens uh and and uh, there were some issues there as well but i i think he's just so skilled uh, of a filmmaker that it's a great way for him to if it's his final one then uh you know it's it's a great way to him for him to send a message to the film industry about what he thinks about how he feels about it I guess I just really consider uh, how he might tackle the look and feel of what it is to make movies instead of just giving the audience his stylistic impression of the scenes that are going on. So I think of stuff like Kill Bill, I think of stuff like Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, where they're super stylistic, whether it's the slow motion you know, profile walk in Reservoir Dogs, or the, the camera work that the camera is essentially on a crane and we're looking straight down into uh, the restaurant that Charlie Brown you know, owns in, in Kill Bill and the, and the camera's going in and out of all the rooms and panning around making Citizen Kane look like amateur hour. How is he going to treat and showcase what it's like to make movies? I'm really curious about that and what it's like to make movies in 1969. Well, what comment- and what his commentary is on the Hollywood machine at that point, set against a bunch of murders. Well, I'll tell you what, that also interests me greatly because I was actually born in the Los Angeles area in 1969. So it, for me, it will seem somewhat sentimental, although the backdrop obviously is obviously is going to have a, a very unfortunate uh, the very unfortunate event, a tragic murder, and, and very uh, for for all the wrong reasons, well known still to this day with the passing of of uh, Manson himself. So that's brought back those horrible memories, and and the and people wanted to know more about that information. So uh, I, I, but for me, I just am, am curious to see that how he envisions that period of time. Uh, because, like I said, it was just when around when when I was born, and I wanted to, I want to know more about it. And maybe this would, in some way, will give me a, a deeper glimpse of what the world was like if it's done well, which I'm pretty sure it will be coming from Tarantino at that point in time. It it'll be something interesting to see, and uh, I hope it does perform better or appeals to a broader audience than the Hateful Eight. I know he's been doing a lot of westerns in one sense or another. 
recently, and I don't know. I think there's a limited appeal to Western. Do you think there's a limited appeal to like the behind the scenes kind of take on Hollywood? But if the uh, if the story and the hook are compelling enough, I think it could reach that wide audience and really put them on the map in the same way that Inglorious Bastards did. Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 for his movies. Um, only on a two or three occasions has he had a really commercial film because there's been a lot of weight behind it from fan approval to also critical acclaim, which sometimes swoops it into the awards talk. And if it if it's a movie that gets into that awards talk, you see those box office numbers, for the most part, that gets translated into it, especially with his films. Uh, the Hateful Eight, I think, was pretty much ignored by, by most of the the critical community as far as being at that higher level. Uh, I don't think it was really perceived as one of his best films. So I think it just kind of got lost in the mud and obviously got bowled over at that point in time by the force awakens. But I, I think this next film, especially if it's his last, because I know a lot of people will tout it and will, will advertise it. If that's the case, if it is truly his final attempt at filmmaking, I think that it will go a long way, and uh, if it's done well, that as far as a, a movie that could actually uh, really do well at the box office. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But like you're saying, ultimately, a Tarantino film will be an event film because of who he is as a director, which aren't many people in that circle. There really aren't that many directors you can say are in that circle. So it'll be interesting to check out for sure. I well, you were for, hanging out, well, you were hanging out with George Lucas the other day, so <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> and then also had an appearance with uh, Kylo Ren, so I saw that too. Yeah, I was. I uh, sort of met George Lucas the other day, so that was an interesting encounter. And wow, George just—he uh, likes his plaid. That's all I can say about that. He really likes his plaid. This is true, but I just—I just love the way. Uh, I, uh, the, the individual who plays Kylo Ren, he's gotten this, this I don't want to say motley group together, but it just seems like this group together that they'll This ragtag group of, uh, you know, mercenaries that are all about the cosplay mercenaries, I guess you could say. Exactly. Yeah. But I, so, I'll, I feel, I'm so happy for him because he gets to go and do a lot of events, a lot of conventions, and a lot of charitable things uh, that he does by those appearances. So more props to your friend. Uh, and also he's a good friend of mine as well. Uh, Jay Bartlett. And I hope to get him on the show real soon, but he's a hard man to get, but I have a feeling around star Wars time that I think I'm going to be able to at least get his thoughts on that. Yeah. You, you might be able to, uh, the mercenaries of masquerade, I guess the ragtag mercenaries of masquerade. That sounds like a really good catchphrase for them. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Indeed. I'll sell that to them somehow. Uh, for I got only two more things I want to touch on, and this this next one I think is a little fun, and that's because I came across an article talking about blockbusters that were supposed to be good that were not. So I kind of have a question for you, and that is, which least are you likely to watch again? And I'm going to go through three pairs, and you've got to give your your pros and cons for not wanting to watch either of these films, okay? So the first uh, first pairing is which le- which leastly which least likely are you to watch again between the Lone Ranger with Army Hammer and Johnny Depp or Green Lantern with Ryan Reynolds? The Green Lantern. So what puts Lone Ranger ahead of the the Green Lantern? 
because I actually wanted to see it in the theaters. Didn't get a chance to uh, just you know, other stuff going on in my life, plus other better pictures that were out because I saw how not so good it was doing for Disney and whatnot. But I always wanted to see it. And then finally it came up on AMC uh, about uh, three, four months back, I want to say. And I did get a chance to see it. And you know what? It, it, it's it's long. It's, it's excessively long. Uh, it could have been a much better movie had it been shortened up. But it, it was, you know, if you, it's it's much better as a uh, a, a film that that was very a little bit shorter, and and I don't know, I just think that it really could have done a lot better if it was shorter, and and I think that uh, it was turned out to be an okay film. I, I I got through it, I got through it, and actually didn't mind seeing it again later that weekend. So with with uh, with my young ones. So and in Green Lantern, any any thoughts on that? Uh. Green Lantern, I saw it, and it was just horrible. Just absolutely. Uh, Ryan Reynolds. I, I, I like Ryan Reynolds' shtick on some occasions. Deadpool, obviously. Waiting is a wanted from way back when. That's really good. But, uh, yeah, it only goes so far, and it didn't go so far in this one because the story was bad. And just really, I think, was expecting something else and, and unfortunately didn't get it. And now he can joke about it later on, obviously, as he did in Deadpool. But, yeah, um, not too good. Speaking of Green Lantern, do you think that should DC, and apparently it's on the dockets for them to do another Green Lantern film, do you think that they should bring Hal Jordan in as Ryan Reynolds but focus on like Jon Stewart or uh, Guy Gardner, the other two Lanterns of Earth? I don't think they should bring back Ryan Reynolds. I don't think he'll even want to do it. I think it would be an interesting cameo to see him though, don't you? I think that would be a nice way to tie it in. But it would be very expensive. <laughs> I think he would do it just to mug in front of the camera and just poke fun of the experience. I think I think he'd do it. Next up, which least are you likely to watch again? I, I think I kind of know, but I'm not sure. Phantom Menace or Batman Forever? That's a good one. <laughs> I'd probably say Phantom Menace. Because you're my least daughter likely it. to watch that again, or you're going to watch Oh, that? oh I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Batman Forever. That was like a one and done for me. Uh, really? Phantom Menace, you can actually have on the background and do something else. My, and one of my girls actually likes the prequels uh, a little bit more than, than the rest of the family. So. You've got some work to do as a father then. Tell me about it. Because <laughs> it's funny, because I've probably seen Batman Forever significantly more than Phantom Menace. Mind you, I am a pretty big Jim Carrey fan. Uh, that hit me at the right time. I actually like Val Kilmer, as at least as a Bruce Wayne. Uh, I thought it was an interesting take on the whole Batman universe, that almost Batman 66 vibe versus like the Tim Burton darkness to it. And I don't know. There's, there's I think, some redeeming qualities about it. And uh, I don't know. I would probably... Be okay not to see the Phantom Menace again and keep Batman forever. Last pair I got, and maybe we'll bring this as a recurring feature, either or, kind of going forward on Cosmic Crossfire. But the last pair I got here, which least are you likely to watch again, is Halle Berry's Catwoman or Super Mario Brothers? Halle Berry's Catwoman. Saw that once. I'm done with that. I'm going to get that out of my life. I think she's a, a tremendous actress and a beautiful woman. But I, I'm just that that 
has to go. That was just uh, that was just rancid. That story that was just uh, I can't believe that they made it. Um, I feel so bad for her because that's going to live with her for the rest of her. That's going to just stick with her like a, like gum on her shoe to, uh, for the rest of her life. Uh, Super Mario Brothers, you can always treat as campy and, and just hilarious and, and just really bad for for all the wrong reasons. But you can that, say that all those things about Catwoman though too. Yeah, but uh, Catwoman is just that was just I think it's actually worse than Super Mario Brothers. I could actually sit through Super Mario Brothers again. I can't sit through Catwoman again. <laughs> that's just that's just like needles in my eyes. <laughs> All right, well that'll do it for that topic. I was just I, I came across an article and I had to fire some of these hypotheticals your way. And uh, yeah, there's there's no winners in in those ones necessarily, folks. But uh, what would you have picked? Would you pick Lone Ranger or Green Lantern, Phantom Menace or Batman Forever, Halle Berry's Catwoman, or Super Mario Brothers? The last thing I wanted to throw your way is a film that I have actually watched three times since it came out on uh, November 17th. And it's a film that uh, really punched me in the emotions. It uh, hit me in the gut. And it's about movie making. It's about a spiritual message. It's uplifting. And I, when I say spiritual message, it's about kind of just stepping back from who you are and what you're looking for in life and where you want to go. And this is uh, an exceptional documentary called uh, Jim and Andy, the great beyond. Gerald, have you seen this yet? Uh, no, but I have heard about it because uh, of all the extenuating circumstances around uh, man on the moon. Um, and I know it's something that a lot of people say it is really good. Uh, and it's actually worth restarting or getting a Netflix subscription for. It, this is a phenomenal documentary, and the concept behind it is that uh, Universal, I believe it was Universal, uh, hired an EPK crew, which is an electronic press kit crew, to document the behind the scenes of making Man on the Moon, starring Jim Carrey, in the role of Andy Kaufman for essentially an Andy Kaufman biopic. Um, Typically, EPK is only done for a couple weeks out of the production, and then that's kind of you know marketed and shifted to what you see as the behind-the-scenes featurettes. Now, if you're in a theater a little bit early before your the the main film is about to play, you'll see kind of going behind the scenes on the set of the Avengers, and you have some of the cast and crew talking about it. You see some stunt breakdown, but for this, they filmed almost all of the production. And infamously, Carrie stayed in character as Kaufman for the entirety of, of, of the run to basically get it right and to, to not break it, to not have the unevenness. Which is and not uncommon because more. a lot of actors that, uh, for instance, Australians that do American accents or English, English actors that do American accents or vice versa, they often throughout the entire production, from what I've seen and heard, actually do the same thing as well. Yeah, so there's there's definitely some some rationale to that, but this is more than just the story of what it was like behind the scenes to make Man on the Moon, which was directed by Milo Schwarman, who is a brilliant filmmaker. He directed the Academy Award-winning One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Jack Nicholson, and a host of other just amazing films. This is more than the behind the scenes of that. This is also a little bit on who Andy Kaufman was and his impact in the in the in the universe as, as a comedian, as a bit of an ex, uh, a comedian that's on the fringes. But it's also very much a Jim Carrey biopic. You see a lot of footage of of Carrey through the years 
and how his life and Andy Kaufman's life intersect at this interesting point in time and what that has done for Carrie at that point and going forward and what it all means today. The film is 90% all archival footage from what was shot during the making of it. And the only kind of new footage is a single interview done with Carrie, who's talking directly to camera, explaining what some of those events were like and kind of looking back on it, what it means today and looking back on his whole career and what all of this means. Yeah. I've just been listening to your, as far as explanation to why man of the moon is so, Oh, actually this documentary on Jim Carrey during man on the moon is so good going into what was going on with this documentary. I, it just, from what I'm able to see, cause I've actually seen uh, more than a couple trailers on it. And it looks very intriguing about what goes on behind the scenes with uh, the making of it. And, and just Jim Carrey, I think as an actor, he'll always be very unappreciated. And I think, his future because of all the controversy that has surrounded him in later years, unfortunately will never get his due and may never get a great opportunity again, which is very unfortunate because I think as an actor, he has been able to on occasion really, really show why that he can really do the job when given a task to do so. Well, you mentioned the trailers and I will say the trailers really focus on the outlandishness and the shock value and the, wow, this guy is weird kind of vibe when it comes to Jim Carrey interacting with people and how absurd and bizarre that must be for everyday folks because isn't he just an actor? For me, that the film functions like that's like level three and it's like the least kind of significant part of the narrative that you see unfold. You quickly accept that that's the way it's going to be and you really don't get surprised by anything that comes along the way. At least I didn't because it's par for the course. It's Jim being Andy or Jim being Tony Clifton, uh, as it may pertain to the different scenes. But it's really about, for me, how that functions in his career and his life and how that has positioned him to where he is now and what that means and how you as a viewer can sit back and, and, and witness that objectively and what can you pull from that. And what can you learn from that experience in your own life? And this, I've, like I said, I've seen this three times now since it's come out on the 17th. And it's uh, not coincidence. Yeah, I am a big Jim Carrey fan, as I mentioned when we talked about Batman Forever. But this transcends liking anyone for pure reasons of fandom. This is the kind of stuff that you, you ask the big questions to which you should have the answers about yourself and what you want to do in life and why you want to do them. So uh, I agree with you. I mean, I'd, like I said, I just seeing him transform into that character and stay within character throughout the entire process. Uh, as far as that it should be for anyone who is actually either a Jim Carrey fan or just likes a good behind the scenes documentary. I think this is something definitely that they that they should shoot forward. Well, Gerald, I, I hope you'll promise me that you, that you will watch it. You will find 90 minutes to check it out and, and see what I'm what I'm raving about. And I hope everybody that's listening, uh, whether they want to do their free trial on Netflix to to check out Jim and Andy, the Great Beyond, or whether they have it, they should they should take it. And you know what? If you got to sit there and watch it alone because you don't think your significant other would be into it, then sit there and watch it alone. It's a good film. You will laugh. You will 
do some good pondering and you will be shown a world that you didn't think kind of existed. Well, uh, it reminds me a lot of yours, uh, the Tendo Quest, whereas a lot of people who... No wonder I like it so much. Well, first of all, the reason why I say that is because Nintendo Quest, oh, it's about video games. Oh, la, 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 you know, I don't, I don't want to see that. Blah, blah. And then they sit down and they watch it. And I remember the, I think I've played it with, uh, in front of people about two or three times. And every time I start off watching it by myself and it ends up at the end of the film with two or three people around me actually going, wow, this was a good movie. And it just, you know, it, it has that kind of vibe that this will fall in the same fashion. Somebody will be uh, like your, you know, uh, Tanya will actually walk by and, and, Oh, what you're watching. And you'll be, you'll tell her whatnot. And then she'll end up watching the whole thing, sitting down thinking that originally it may not be for her, but eventually the story draws you in or the actual, the way the narrative is drawn in this, in this documentary, similar to what you did in Nintendo quest will just draw you right in. It ha- it has that effect, and that's an interesting parallel that that you throw out there. My sneaky Pete, Nintendo Quest is actually more than just video games formula, uh, but yeah. And I actually said in my review, but you know, people just you know when they see the surface of it, they just say, "Oh, this is video games, la 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 la," and then they sit down and they find out it's something so much more. Yeah, and, and I understand why Jim and Andy is being marketed the way that it is in the same way that I had to market Nintendo Quest the way that I did. We also just apparently got a sale for Nintendo Quest in the UK, which is really exciting, coincidentally. So thanks for bringing it up and jogging my memory. So our UK fans will be able to check it out. They're on an eSports network, from what I understand. Uh, but bottom line is, I don't want to talk more about it because I don't want to spoil it for anybody, and I've really tried to kind of stay clear from the, the big things that, that got to me. But check it out, Jim and Andy, the Grapion. It's on Netflix now. Uh, make sure you rate it a big thumbs up and uh, let us know what you think about Jim and Andy, the Grapion. And if it uh, if it did for you what it did for me at a very significant time in my life, um, that that helped me make a, a few big decisions in the last week or so. So yeah, that that does it for the Cosmic Crossfire. What do you think? That was the deluxe edition. That was a great, some, some really great topics indeed. We covered a full spectrum of pop culture. And definitely as someone who enjoyed Man on the Moon, uh, definitely you got to check that out, either via trial or just restarting your Netflix subscription. Or if you have one already, definitely something you need to check out. As a, you know, pe- People sometimes, as you know, as someone who makes documentaries, people sometimes fear the word documentary as something that's going to be boring or something that's that's just going to be something that they wouldn't be interested in because they don't think it will tell a great narrative and as you proved with nintendo quest and missing mom that's definitely far from the case and hopefully kitty and power of grayskull will follow in those footsteps well i haven't seen those yet so i can't well not yet maybe one day maybe one day indeed Well, if you have any questions out there for any of the topics that we cover on the Cosmic Crossfire, feel free to send us a shout-out, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanity Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. Truly appreciate, Rob, you being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos and, of course, on another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire.